Yo, 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 yo. Hey, party people. Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents podcast. Thank you for tuning into the program once again. Uh, just got a few quick notes before we get into this episode. It is a lengthy one, so I will try to keep it short and sweet up top. Uh, first and foremost, if you would like to support the podcast in a free way, please go to the iTunes click rate and review hit it with five stars write a few nice words and that will help drive more visibility to the podcast on a national level and ultimately help us reach that goal of 100 reviews on the itunes and i feel like we're getting closer and closer so please help participate in doing so also you can head over to dancablepresents.com and uh, drop a few shekels in the donate bin if you would like to help support the podcast or you can uh, do so by you know getting yourself one of those sweet day cable presents baseball tees with my big dumb face on it uh other than that got a few dates coming up this friday if you're listening to it on release day there's a couple uh really great shows going on tonight there is uh at the Secret Society, one of my favorite venues in town, you can see Camp Crush, formerly uh, the band Santi Am, who was on this podcast many moons ago, and hope to bring them back soon to talk about their uh, new endeavors and their new band name and whatnot. And then also, Kelly's Olympian, got a really dope bill going on there June 2nd. Kyle on the Mountain, Tumble Down, and my boys in Hammerhead will be uh, headlining that one, so... You know, go see some music on this fine Friday evening. I will be at the Big Building Bash on Saturday, June 3rd, up in Seattle. The Dan Cable Presents stage will be in full effect. You can see Rashid Jamal up there also. And uh, tons of great bands. It's going to be an all-day festival up in Seattle. So if you're up there, please uh, do not hesitate to come find me and uh, give me a holler. Um, and then aside from that, June 8th, at the White Eagle, it's going to be the second ever live podcast going down at the White Eagle. Karma Rivera's on the bill. Boca. Mike Fontaine is back on the bill. We thought he wasn't going to be able to make it, but now he's, he's back. I'm super pumped that Mike is going to be a part of it. Uh, as well as MG Productions and Alex Meltzer is going to be our house DJ for the evening. So that's going to be at the White Eagle June 8th. It's 8 bucks. Come support the program in its live form it's going to be a super fun night looking forward to that um other than that there's uh some fresh cedar teeth videos up on the uh the youtube so check out the cedar teeth uh videos from the the studio session we did and then uh, the skull diver ones should be up and available soon as well those are the uh two most recent episodes of the podcast so if you haven't checked those out please do both of those were super fun, and the uh, Skull Diver release party at Holocene was super wild and a super fun night. Um, 
Other than that, I guess we should just get up into this episode of the podcast. This is episode 61 with uh, Blake Hickman of Good Cheer Records, which is a local indie label here out of Portland. Uh, Blake is also uh, involved in The Thesis, which is a monthly hip-hop show that goes down at the Kelly's that we talked about. And he's also a contributor to the uh, Willamette Week. Just a really great dude. And also somebody that's been around the Portland scene for a while and, and really seems to, you know, keep his finger on the pulse and has had a, a lot of involvement over the years. So I really enjoyed this chat with, with Blake. Um, and we featured a few tracks off of the uh, the Good Cheer Records roster. So we, we got some, some really great tracks from Cool American and we got some... We got a turtleneck track at the end, and we also kicked it off with uh, Surfer Rosie, so you'll be able to hear all of that in this episode of the podcast. Thank you again for all the supporters out there, and uh, this is the freshest episode of the podcast with Blake Hickman, episode 61. Here it is. Blake Hickman, what is good, my friend? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Right on. I was just uh, wanted to hang out and chat with you and then learn about uh, Good Cheer Records today. That sounds good. And yeah, no, this is good. Um, so the listeners know we're on the uh, street corner of Powell and 13th. Yeah. Taking hang- in the sights and the sounds. Hanging out uh, at Southeast Grind, hoping that it's not yeah. going uh, to start uh, raining on us here. Yeah. <laughs> German Sausage Factory in the line of sight. That Idlewise. Yeah. I've heard good things about that Idlewise. I, I actually have too. You know, it's uh it's like the one of the places you can actually park when you go to a show at the Aladdin Theater. Absolutely. And so I've always seen it and thought about it. But you know, it's one of those things where you never really make a specific errand run for German sausage. No, it's not the spot you think of like when uh when you're thinking about lunch for the day, you're like, oh, yeah. where are we going to go get lunch? And it's never Idlewise. Right. But yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, yeah I, do they actually have, like, dine-in stuff there? I guess I don't even know. I I'm pretty sure that you like, can get sandwiches uh, and, and stuff like that, well, like, similar that's, to Otto's. That's pretty cool, then, in that case. But still, yeah, it's not a uh, it's not a destination, so to speak. Yeah. Just, just shout-outs um, to just local Portland businesses here, just getting free shout-outs yeah, on the right. cast, just that's getting right. it going. That's all we're going to do, actually, with this this episode. We're just going to talk about what's in sight. Yeah. You know, we got we got the Aladdin, as you mentioned, yeah. you know, one of, one of the cool venues here in town. Uh, yeah, there's also a Subway. I got to say, I have a mixed history with Subway. It's a 24-hour Subway. That's cool. I like places that are open 24 hours. <laughs> there's definite lack of those in town. Um there's a Twitter account that's called the WWE Subway Experience. <laughs> and uh, all it is is, like, they post a bunch of uh, GIFs of wrestling, but, like, themed around Subway stuff. <laughs> like, they'll have uh, Stone Cold hitting someone with a chair. That's so good. And it's, like, the caption's, like... When the sandwich artist forgets to take your cookies out of the oven. And like, <laughs> the audience for that feed is basically like me. Like, I don't know how that Twitter exists because I feel like I'm the only natural audience for it. <laughs> but somehow I didn't make it. But I'm glad it's out there. 
There's so many of those good, like, throwback WWE accounts, like, on Facebook and stuff yeah. like that. And I've, I've started to follow many of them just yeah. because I had that love as a kid watching all that stuff. And it's just so good every once in a while to watch, like, the best moments ever yeah. on SmackDown. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, there's that, like, Facebook account that's, like, Stone Cold, only he's, like, super woke. <laughs> and he like talks about trans issues and stuff like that, which is really sick. And I'm, the person that I, runs that, I'm sure, is really tight. Uh, Stone Cold himself, maybe not the best guy. Like I know he was in court for like domestic abuse stuff, but you know these people that run these accounts, they may not know that, yeah. which is fine. Uh, but yeah, anyway, yeah, I'm a, I've, I'm a huge, uh, you know, people often ask me if I watch. TV, you know, like how that's like a go-to question these yeah. days. I was at a family dinner, and my my aunt is like, "So, what TV have you been watching lately?" Like, it's like now a, a uh, uh, you know what I mean, like a conversational question, a topic, I guess. And it's just like, I literally only watch like basketball and wrestling. <laughs> like, that's literally it. I haven't followed any like prestige TV since like. Mad Men was off the air, essentially. Because, uh, yeah, I'm doing label stuff or I'm at work at night or, you know, when I'm home, like, typing on the computer, I don't really have the attention span to follow a show. So I end up just watching wrestling, basically. Because it's an easy thing to have on in the background. Yeah, you can also... Uh, I'm a big sports fan myself, so I find that... Sometimes that's a really good opportunity to listen to new music and stuff like that or listen to like a podcast. Yes. Because I can right. just throw that yeah, on mute because I really audio. don't need I don't really need the commentary if I'm yes. watching it, you know. I see what yeah. happen, what's what's happening. Yeah, no, that's you're totally right. And I I'll do that too when I watch like NBA stuff. Uh especially the Blazers because they have just consistently had really terrible announcers, I think. <laughs> I don't know. I know people get very sentimentally attached to those guys but when you watch the whole league you you can't really like appreciate like the homerism as much like you know what i'm saying yeah like absolutely the, there's a conspiracy against our team the nba's yeah. rigged it the refs are the guys carrying it out uh yeah i just i just can't handle that so yeah I'd totally mute, I, mute I the sound you. i don't i don't uh i'm not as familiar with like the uh the hometown nba and answers through the league but I definitely find that that's the case watching the NHL, which I'm yes. a little more a little more hip to. And yeah, there's right. definitely those those announcers that I'm excited to listen to, and then there's the ones that I'm like, we're, I'm not listening to this tonight. Like, yeah, I can't deal with this amount of bias. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> uh, there's a <laughs> there's a guy at my work actually. His name's Jack. He actually has a song about being a sportscaster. It's a great song. That's amazing. Um, yeah. I wish we could cut he, to that right now. Yeah. Like, I, we uh, might have to, like, I don't know. Yeah, we might have to procure it. Uh, but, yeah, he uh, he does this, like, monthly songwriter circle thing at the store, uh, which a couple of our artists have done. Uh, Mo and Nathan from Cool American have both played individual one of those and the store you'd be talking about music oh, millennium, music millennium yes. which is I'm, I'm, one of your one of your day day gigs yes exactly i uh i've worked there for two years which is long enough to know 
a lot about Todd Rundgren's discography <laughs> and also which Grateful Dead bootlegs are in print on, on vinyl and which ones are not. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he does these songwriter circles things. He's done them every month for over 20 years. And uh, since he wrote this song, I guess, he's played it at every single one. And so, you know, like my, uh, a friend of mine runs sound for these. So he's heard this song like, you know, like 30, 40 times live. Um, and yeah, we asked Jack why he always plays it. He's like, it's the only song written by a sportscaster. <laughs> it's kind of one of those things where it's a niche right. market. Yeah, it is the only one. That's awesome. To, to my knowledge, anyway. Big fan of the uh, the Millennium, which is one of the the better record stores in town. It's uh, one of the larger yeah. ones. It's it is the largest in Portland. Uh, is it the oldest as well? Um, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's in the 70s, yeah, right? It opened in 72. And uh, so it's been a long time. Because second, second half has been open for a long time, too. But that's, I think, the 80s. That's true. I'm pretty sure it's the oldest one, but I have not. Uh, that's not on any of the T-shirts, so I don't know it. I only know the facts of the store that are on T-shirts or bumper stickers. And that's, that's not on any official licensed memorabilia. Yeah, it's one of those uh, spots where I feel like I should just have part of my check deposited to because I just, on a monthly basis, uh, spend spend too much money there on yeah. records. Well, we do have some super part-time employees where I'm like pretty sure they're spending most of, <laughs> if not all, their checks there. There's a guy that works only two days a week, and I'm pretty sure he just does it to like maintain the employee <laughs> discount. <laughs> Uh, which is good it's a good employee discount i gotta say right on man well uh definitely wanted to hang out to talk to uh, talk about good cheer and maybe touch on the thesis and and willamette week which are all things that you're involved in and uh i thought maybe we like i'm pretty stoked to to learn more about good cheer yeah i thought we could maybe uh kick it off with uh this worms jam by surfer rosie yeah no it sounds good they're uh our newest signees so to speak uh so yeah let's let's check that out cool this is uh worms by surfer rosie
So that was uh, that was Worms by the uh, the newest member of the uh, Good Cheer Records roster, Surfer Rosie. Yeah, um, that's uh, that band at this point is kind of our secret weapon, so to speak, just because they don't have very much out. Um, I should mention, so I you know started this label with uh, Mo Troper, who's also a artist on our label. Him and I started it together in uh, 2013. Didn't really do anything until I'm actually th- that that's incorrect. It was in 2014. Uh, we didn't really do anything until the very start of 2015. And so that was essentially the f- label's first year. Um, and so we were kind of co-owners, like equal partners type thing until this past summer when moved to LA and has just kind of had some other things going on and uh, since then I've been the sole owner but I did have somebody kind of take over his role as kind of like A&R person uh, and her name is Maya Stoner she's in one of our bands called Floating Room um, and so in bringing her on last fall uh, when you're planning a label like ours Things are like so scheduled in advance to where this is really the first band Surfer Rosie that like she signed or whatever, even though she's been helping me out with stuff at this point for almost six months now. Uh, And so it's been really cool just to like see people react to that. And uh, I'll say this for like a band on our roster, uh, Surfer Rosie probably has the most people who when they see them live, I get like messages about it being like, holy shit, this band is so good. Especially from, you know, I, people's opinions I follow uh, very closely are the artists on our roster. And every artist on a roster at this point, I think, has seen them and messaged me and said like, like this band is incredible. And to give you some background, uh, Laura, who kind of started the band, she was in uh, a band called Blind Lovejoy uh, for a while, um, which was a really great band. Um, And they were really uh, the main, like, driver of creating that band. Uh, Now it's, it's to the point where there's, like, three songwriters and there's three singers. And so their live set is just, like, super dynamic where you have these, like, different voices and they do three-part harmony um and uh yeah i don't know i don't want to spoil too much of the ep because that's really when you get to hear songs from all three people instead of worms which is just one of laura's songs um and so yeah i'm really excited that's coming out in july so i think i think people are really really gonna like it yeah i remember Um, you uh sent me a message maybe a couple weeks back and you're just like dude check out this surfer rosie stuff i'm really excited about this yeah absolutely one i would say too like when you know people ask me about live shows they're kind of one of the first bands i mentioned just because i know that like they're really gonna deliver something really high caliber um we have a lot of bands on our roster that are just very good live they're definitely like the most unique in terms of the the uh the what you'll end up hearing um so yeah i'm excited to get that out in july uh forgot also i was gonna say oh i also uh uh gillian in that band 
she has her own stuff. Uh, you can find it. It's Gillian Francis on Bandcamp. And that is like one of my favorite releases of last year. Um, and I didn't even put it out. It's, and it's one of my absolute favorite local releases of last year. Just beautiful, beautiful songs. Um, ones I still listen to a lot. So, yeah, it's worth checking out for sure. Right on. That's out. definitely like uh, they are very much, Surferosi is very much like a rock band. Um, that stuff is very much like more like folk based and just very like haunting and sparse nice, and dude. stuff like that. So. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, just wanted to shout that out. Um, yeah, man. Before we like get any further into just the logistics, I guess, of how Good Cheer kind of works and operates, yeah. I'm just kind of curious about your uh, your infatuation for music and kind of like where where that comes from and how that started. Yeah, you know, I I come from a a very musical family. Uh, my uncle was a uh, piano player, uh, played for really most of his life in the, his adult life as a player, played for the, uh, the San Francisco Opera Company, was a classical pianist, played with people, you know, like Pavarotti and uh, uh, some of the most famous opera singers of that era would warm up with him when they would come to San Francisco and all this stuff. Played Celeste on uh, some of the Star Wars soundtrack. It's all this like crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and he passed away when I was pretty young. And when I was eight, he uh, he died. He lived in San Francisco and he died uh, during the the AIDS crisis there. Uh, and so recently, I, you know, I went down there and saw you know at the AIDS memorial his spot there with some friends of his and realized just like what just how much of a, a, an integral part of that music community there he was. And it's always been something that um, has inspired me to just want to connect with people over music. Um, because that is something where, you know, none of us are here for very long. And uh, when you're gone, you're gone. But, like, it's one of those things where those kinds of connections you can make with people end up... Um, you know, living on past your time here. Um, and that's, that's very important to me in, in anything that I do in terms of music. Uh, you know, my dad had, uh, really just, uh, his taste in music was, uh, like Michael Bolton, Kenny G, Boss Gags, just like all this stuff, uh, that he would play in the car really loudly and get really into it. And then later find out that like, wow, this is considered some of the worst music <laughs> ever. <laughs> it's like we used to, we went on a road trip and he played that song Fields of Gold by Sting over and <laughs> over and over again. And at the time I was too young to know better. I was just like, wow, this song is really pretty and it's very cinematic. You know what I mean? It's like later I realized like, wow, these songs are bad. <laughs> uh, and so... I'm someone that has never really been very judgmental about other people's taste in music, I think, just because of that. Um, you know, I didn't really... I grew up in a in Beaverton, and uh, my family very much did not take part in anything, like, west of... or east of downtown Portland. 
And so a lot of Portland, Portland was very foreign to me until I was a teenager. Um, and I saw a show that really was like life changing in a few ways, which was uh, uh, Ted Leo and the Pharmacist show when I was 18. And uh, that was really the moment that kind of got me started on this path of from being a very passive music fan and kind of just like listening to whatever my friends were or whatever was on the radio to like going out on the internet or in shows or following alt weeklies or anything like that and and kind of like discovering my own music and that process you know eventually through doing a radio show and and meeting people in bands specifically you know mo troper uh that was the process that started me like and eventually kind of ended with like my current thing where I'm like putting out records, which is kind of like the, I don't know, there's like a spectrum and I, I see that as like one of the ends of the spectrum that you can do where you're like creatively, uh, you know, I think there's like putting out records, there's booking shows, there's making your own music, all of these kind of like creative acts that you end up doing where you're like, not just consuming, but you're like putting yourself out there, participating in one way or another. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. I think that's kind of been some of the joys of kind of starting this podcast and right. and starting to put together some live bills myself. Is just kind of I feel like it's the only way I know how to participate in my community to a certain right. degree. You know, and that's and that's exactly where I'm at with things too, for sure. Um, did you ever uh, play any instruments yourself, or has it always just been uh, just kind of a super fan so, uh, sort of deal? I uh, was very active in my church youth group when I was in middle school and high school and was in a, uh, a worship band. Uh, so we were called Fragile, which is a very like postmodern name uh, for a a Christian band, I guess. But, uh, yeah, so I played bass for that worship band. And then really briefly, like, bought an acoustic guitar and attempted to write my own songs and just kind of realized in doing that, you know, I'm not very good at this, and this is probably never going to get to a point where I'm good enough where anything's going to happen with this and quit. Which is good because I tell you, like, I'm one of the people that like runs sound at the store for these in-stores. There are people that don't have that moment and just keep doing <laughs> keep keep doing it uh, because they don't have that uh, self-awareness or no one else has like just set them aside and been like, hey, uh, this isn't gonna work out. It doesn't happen very often, but occasionally you'll come across people who. Uh, don't have the ability to kind of recognize their own shortcomings in that area. Yeah. And it's really pretty wild. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I very quickly realized like, I'm not ever going to get very good at this. And since then have never tried to do that again. Um, and during a long period of time from then to when I started doing music stuff again, um, I had a government job for a long time where I was working um, for the mayor of Beaverton 
and I did that was my life for a long time and obviously music was still a big part of it I was uh, that was back when Google had a Google reader and so I had a ton of music blogs it's kind of the height of music blogs to be honest with you when you could actually find really good bands through music blogs that didn't get on there because they paid a publicist but actually like people were breaking bands on right. music blogs uh, and would check those religiously so I was always connected to it but you know when you're working you know 50 sometimes 60 hours a week staring at a computer screen there's only so much that you're going to do outside of that right. so, and I did that for a long time uh, and got laid off during the economic crisis uh and uh, kind of have never gotten a real job after that ever again. Uh, and then my son was born, and now um, when he was old enough to where I could, you know, start doing more things, because I took care of him at home for several years. When he got old enough where I could start doing some other things, I kind of had that choice of, like, do I want to go back and try to get another city or nonprofit job or do I want to do something else and decided to do something else and so since then I kind of had these like service industry jobs to where I now have really the best service industry job I could possibly have which is working at a record store um, and it's like there's elements of it where it's like retail is just retail and you can't escape retail's shortcomings no matter what right. where you're at but I mean, there are times where it's like, you know, I'm like running sound for the drive-by truckers and I get to meet like Patterson Hood and <laughs> that's my work day. You know what I mean? Right. There's moments like that where it's just totally surreal and it's like, wow, I cannot believe I actually get to do this. So, yeah, it's a good fit for me right now. And then I kind of have that compartment and then I have other compartments for some of these other things that I'm doing. So growing up just outside of uh, Portland, you've, you've really, uh, I would assume, have, had the, uh, have, have the perspective on, on how this place has changed, yeah. especially over the last four or five years. Sure. And this music scene has kind of blossomed into something different. Yeah, you know, I think the way I look at it, the people who I see complaining the most about like recent uh, people who have moved to Portland. People I see complaining the most about it are the people who moved here in like 2005 or 2006. <laughs> and so for me, it's kind of like you're not realizing that you like started this wave and you don't really have ownership of this thing you're claiming to have ownership of. Nor do I, because I was living in Beaverton until around that time, too. Uh, but still, it's like, I remember when, you know, Hawthorne was a street that had a few apartment buildings and an Arby's. People don't remember. There used to be an Arby's on <laughs> Hawthorne. Uh, like Hawthorne in 20th. Um, we had a relative who was at a, a retirement community over there. We would go and pick her up. Her name was Martha. She was like my great aunt or something like that. We would pick her up and take her to that Arby's on Hawthorne. And so that was like my connection to Southeast Hawthorne was the Arby's there. <laughs> and now it's like, you know, that's that's long gone. You can't imagine a, a chain restaurant having a location on 
inner Hawthorne. Like that's like un inconceivable. Uh, and so, yeah, for me, the, the Portland scene now, it's a bunch of different scenes. And I think that's the best way to look at it. Uh, I think it was Poppy Frimbest that said in this interview that I read a long time ago, he was like, you know, Portland really isn't a music scene. It's a music community. And that stuck with me because I think it's a really accurate representation where you have these uh, just kind of like little silos, basically, where you'll have these scenes where there's very little participation like between them, if that makes any sense. Uh, and so our bands kind of function in a scene here. You know, you have the hip hop scene. You kind of have that whole like homey fest kind of Portland music psych rock thing that's its own thing. Um, and they're all just kind of like separated. And I, you know, from my perspective, you know, from me, there's a lot of like, you know, I have a lot of mutual respect for people who function in those different things. And, you know, obviously I've been participating in hip hop shows for a long time now, but that's a totally different deal than like when you're kind of running a label and working with people directly as opposed to, so anyway, I, I don't necessarily consider myself to be part of the hip hop scene just cause like my participation there is kind of just helping Mac out with those thesis shows. And so, uh, or writing about it for Willamette week, you know what I mean? I'm not necessarily like, I don't, I'm not actively participating beyond that. So, you know, I don't want to say I'm part of something like that, but, uh, or I am part of the scene, but I don't want to take like some degree of like ownership, if that makes any sense. For sure. Um, so from where I sit and that's something that I'd like to see change and, um, starting to do a few things to hopefully help that a bit, uh, because I think that we could all benefit from having some more intergenre bills and, and just like not being so kind of splintered, I guess. Uh, we started this thing called the Portland Label Coalition, which is a, it's like a monthly meeting of, uh, you know, I think our most attended meeting, we had 15 labels present. Um, and so it's labels from different scenes where we get together and we kind of like trade stories and, and we're working on some things together, like a catalog. And we're going to start doing these shows once a quarter where bands from different labels, rosters play together. We have one on the No this Saturday where uh, Secret Drum Band are headlining, which is basically a band of all drummers, some really cool bands represented. Uh, one of my bands, Boreen, is playing. Um, Ryan Oxford, who's a folk guy on the Mama Bird label, which is one of my favorite labels in Portland right now. Um, and then Rare Vibe Collective is doing something. They're their own label. And so Lang and Dre Slaps and, and Nick B will all be doing sets. And those guys are super Dre fun. Dre Slaps. Yeah, <laughs> those guys are so fun. Yeah, Dre's a, Dre's a cool dude. I had the opportunity to hang with him a little bit when uh, him and he, he came through for the Mike Capes episode of the podcast. Yeah. And that's, uh, awesome. that's cool though. I, I dig the idea of trying to, you know, merge some genres. And I think that's what's going to expose people to different kinds of music that they're not going to 
normally see. Totally. Which is great. Well, and that's what you what ends up happening at like, because you know our bands play a lot of different kinds of shows at this point, which is nice. When we started, our bands would mostly just play house shows, and I would see that our you know, wow, I know I'm going to see the same fifteen people at every single one of these shows, and that kind of stuff is cool, and it, and you know it feels fun to be at a show surrounded by your friends. But at the same time, it's not really going to benefit really anyone involved. Like It's, it's, it's not, not building a new audience for anybody. Exactly. And the people that just go to those shows and see their friends' bands, it's not really challenging them either. You no. know what I mean? It's uh, a hang. It's, a, it's kind of a party. Right. Right. Exactly. And they know exactly what they're going to see every time. And so, and to be perfectly frank, it's the same situation with, people I've talked to who play in rock bands. It's the same thing. You're, you're playing to the same crowds. You know, their crowds are like larger and, and at bigger venues, but it's a similar dynamic, I guess, to where everyone is trying to kind of like get to that next spot. Yeah, I think that's the, uh, I think that's the challenge of putting together shows, you know, just trying yeah. to like, you want to, you want to, I think the the initial instinct is to put things together that makes sense. Yeah. You know, genre wise. But like you said, it doesn't really challenge anybody in that way. Yeah. When they're coming out to see a bunch of bands that sound similar. So Yeah. I don't know. I would I would say yeah, for me, you know, what I would like to see in the the Portland music community definitely like more collaboration like that. Um and then, like, more all-ages shows, uh, for sure. I think that's another kind of weakness of our scene. Because, you know, I look back to that Ted Leo show, which I would have not been able to see if he played at a bar. You know, yeah. it was like I went to this place called the Meow Meow, which was one of a few really, you know, at that point, thriving all-ages venues. Is in the inner southeast. Um, and those places like that can't really operate in inner Southeast anymore because of the, the rent prices essentially. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like that's, those are kind of the two things where that's where I would like to see some positive things happen over the next few years. And I think there's people working to make that happen. And so that's a good thing to see. Cool, man. Well, let's, uh, let's take this time to get into another track. Yeah. From, uh, the good cheer roster. Yeah, let's, uh, let's do this cool American song because there yeah, are absolutely. records coming out on Friday. Awesome. Uh, so, yeah, this is uh, Seems Insane. All right, this is Cool Americans.
All right, that was uh, Seems Insane, and that's off the uh, new Cool Americans record. Yeah, so it's uh, their record is called Infinite Hiatus, uh, and so it's one of a few vinyl things we're doing this year. Um, history of that band is I first met Nathan, who's the main songwriter and singer in that band, when he was in a band called Snow Roller which is actually a theme that will continue when I start talking about Turtleneck because it was the same dynamic where I first knew him as like the drummer of Snow Roller. And so he did this acoustic tape um, under that moniker that was just really just an incredible tape. Um, uh, it's called Better Luck Next Year. It took me a while to remember that. That's kind of scary how long it took me to remember that. Um, uh, it's a great tape. There's some amazing songs on it. And so I had kind of formulated this opinion of him based on that, where it was like, okay, this guy's like an acoustic type guy. And so when he was like, hey, can I send you some like rough mixes for this record I just recorded? And I was like, yeah. Um, and this was his last, re their last record. You can win a few. So I got sent these rough mixes. The first song I played was this song, Playing Along, which was the single off of that. And it's just like some of the best rock songs that came out that last year. And it was such a loud, pop-oriented thing where I was really floored and uh, sent it to Mo. And very quickly, we decided we wanted to do that tape. And that string of releases that we had where it was like, we did Mo's thing, then we did a, a tape for Naked Hour, which is a, a great tape and was a success. And then we did their thing. That was a very good string of releases that I'm always gonna remember very fondly. Um, and then I, right after that, it was Turtleneck. So yeah, it was a, it, we were very hot at that time, in terms of quality. Um, and so yeah, Nathan is one of my favorite people to work with. He's got a very, uh, He's just a very sensitive guy and very professional um, and very smart. Uh, and so all of his songs, this record is like a theme, this record, Infinite Hiatus by Cool American. Uh, it's like a theme record, but it's not a theme record in like a very kind of like heavy handed way. It's more of like this subtle theme of just like what it's like to be in your 20s and 30s living in Portland in 2017 where it's like there are things that are very depressing and alienating and then there are these moments of very pure connectedness and community and, and hope and more than any other record I've heard with this Nathan has managed to kind of walk that line of being able to capture those moments without it feeling like forced or maudlin. And so for me, it's like that record really floored it for me when he sent it to me in January, I think is when I got the rough mixes for that. And we put this record out in an insane time frame. It's like I had masters and I think we had the first single up like two weeks after that. And uh, when you're running like a vinyl release, it's frankly a, a total nightmare <laughs> to do that 
But it's one of those things where he's like, okay, we have to tour. Nathan is also in an uh, amazing band called Strange Ranger. So, you know, he's in these two other great bands that are very busy. And he has his own band, which is now great and very busy. And so I knew that, like, okay, if Nathan's telling me he has to tour in, in June, I know he's being legit, and that is the window. And so we have to get this out as soon as we possibly can if I want to do it. And so it was really cool. You know, it uh, uh, came together in a, in a great way. Uh, Top Shelf, which is, like, one of the best labels in the country right now, is doing the cassette of it, which is really cool. It's part of their Cassette Club series. Um, and so, yeah, everything worked out uh, very well for that, even though it was a very tight time frame. Um, and, yeah, I encourage people to check it out. It's out uh, Friday the 2nd, um, and they are going on tour with uh, Turtlenecked this summer, um, doing a very long U.S. tour. It's one of our, I think it's our second band to do a, a full U.S. tour. First was Mo. Um and so, yeah, I'm excited to see how that plays itself out. Yeah, man, this has been a record. I've been looking forward to the release of. You sent me some mixes a couple months back of this, and then I played it quite a bit and was very impressed with with the songwriting and, and just the the whole vibe of it. It's just a really cool rock record. For sure. <clears throat> and I'm definitely excited to see what the live show is like. Yeah, no, I mean, they're great. They're all really fun guys and that translates really well in the live show their drummer asher is also in a band of others called boring um and he's a really tremendous drummer especially live uh you know there's drummers that kind of uh are kind of like utility drummers where they like do their purpose as a drummer and then there are drummers that are able to kind of like give songs more of a kick and a lift in a rock setting and he's definitely one of those um so yeah they're great for sure so how does uh how did good cheer become you know go from an idea to becoming an actual label and yeah what did that look like for you well uh to be very frank, it, this was all Mo's idea. Uh, and so that's why it's it's been an adjustment to get used to him not being on the label side of things. Because he was the one that approached me with this whole idea where uh, there was a band that he wanted to put a, a, a tape out and was basically like, you want to start a label to put this tape out? Um, and we did just that, not knowing really anything about anything. Um, you know, I look back at some of the releases that we sent out. You know, we sent out a press release with, like, no BCC. Like, just, like, like putting putting 100 contacts in the two field, copy-pasting it in, pressing send. Yeah. So that someone gets a, their contacts exposed to an For sure. <laughs> press list. Amateur mistake. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh... <laughs> It's so embarrassing looking back on it, but we did all kinds of stuff like that because we didn't know better. Uh, you know, we had a, an offer on the table. He, he did a, an EP called Sancho. Well, it was called, it was called What If, but it was by this band, Sancho. 
was him and Lee from Lee Corey Oswald. Um, we had a, a deal on the table to do a co-release that would have that on a seven inch. Um, and we were basically like, yeah, we don't want to wait for that to come out. Let's just put it out on Bandcamp, <laughs> whatever. And it's insane to look back on it. Cause if we had waited and done that as a seven inch with like a press campaign behind it, it would have done really well. But those are just things that you don't know when you're starting out. So that first year was just a lot of stuff like that. Um, there were some moments of kind of like rungs up the ladder, I guess. A big one was doing this Sabonis tape, uh, which was, you know, at that point, the, the best thing we had released and got the biggest response that we've done. Uh, Maya was in that band, was Maya and uh, Ed Bodine from, he was in a band called Zoo Girl in, in Bustling Townships. Um, and that's really a tremendous EP. It's one I still listen to a lot. Um, so that was a kind of a moment where things felt more real. And then really where I think things turned the corner was uh, 2016 as a year started with us doing uh, Little Stars first tape as a band. And that was really a release where... Uh, it really made a big impact locally to where, you know, they got, they were number four on the best new band list um, that year, which is just unheard of for a band from the DIY scene to get that high on that list. You know, we got one list on this year's list and it was number 19. And that's like usually what you're looking at on a poll like that. Uh, but they really broke through in a big way. Um, incidentally, they would have been in number three if I hadn't personally voted for Last Artful Dodger. <laughs> I was doing the math on the votes because, you know, they have the full ballots out and the scores and everything. And I realized I was like, if Last Artful Dodger had not been on my ballot, which, like, I, I had her at two, if I had not voted, they would have been number three instead of number four. Uh, I don't regret that vote though, because like Dodger, man. Dodger's dope. Yeah, Dodger's so, great. Yeah, I don't regret that at all. But it's just like one of those like, oh yeah, huh? Um, and so yeah, the little star thing was really like, they are still just so many people's favorite bands because they write amazing songs and Dan is amazing. They're great live, um, and their songs are about very dense emotional things and people latch on to them very easily. Dan just like has this ability to kind of open up on record in a way that makes people feel safe to open up themselves. And so it's like, uh, I think that's why people fall in love with that band so deeply is that ability of, of, of his to do that. Um, and so that was really kind of started this chain where it was like Little Star and Mo and Colonel Cool American and Turtleneck and just like that year ended basically with the the floating room release um, which around the time of that release is also when Maya uh, joined the label as a as president which is what she has now after Mo left and so that was kind of like the real formative year where th you know th that was a legit thing um, 
And this year has kind of been like building on that year in a lot of ways to where Maya's kind of signing the new bands and then I'm kind of uh, working on all the sophomore releases from everyone we worked last year. And so that process has been, uh, that's where the challenge has been this year is how, you know, how do we take these bands that we've worked with already, put the record out and reach a different audience with it. And, uh, yeah, it's been a great year. Um, and for me, uh, I know we're getting to this record next. Um, this turtleneck record that we're doing in mid-June is kind of the culmination of a lot of those efforts. Um, Turtleneck is like the solo project of Harrison Smith, who, when I was introduced to Harrison, he was the guitar player for Boreen. It's exactly like, you know, Nathan from, from Cool American. It was Mo sending me a text message being like, do you see that video that Isaac posted? Isaac, who's the lead singer, songwriter, guitar player for Strange Ranger. And I was like, no. And it's like, it's this song called Mondrian, and it's by Turtlenecked, and that he's the guy that is the guitar player for Boreen. And he's like, you need to listen to it as soon as you can. And heard it, and replayed it. Uh, I was driving uh, to work, and so my drive to work when traffic is bad is about an hour. And I listened to that song my entire drive there, just over and over and over again, the song Mondrian. Uh, um, and so we ended up re-releasing that tape of his that was already out. We had him take it off the band camp and we re-released it. It's called Peer Plush Bone Cage. Uh, it's a really amazing album that I listened to a lot today. And then from then we had this agreement where it's like, okay, we want to do whatever your next thing is. And so Harrison recorded this album in, the f in that fall. He sent me the, mass the mixes, the final mixes. He sent me them in like October, essentially. And the masters did not take very long. And we've basically been sitting on this record since then for various reasons. I asked him to push it back to April uh, just because I had seen some records kind of get uh, overlooked because of like January is a weird month to work a record because you announce it in the fall and then people forget about it during winter break. And then early spring is bad because of South by Southwest and some of the festivals. And so I, you know, I asked him to wait until April. We ended up pushing it back until June because of some touring opportunities that he got. Um, and so we've been sitting on this record for a long time, like by far the longest I've ever sat on a record. And so I first heard this as like, the first Turtlenecked album was very lo-fi. This is still him by himself recording in his living room. Uh, but it is like such a good sounding record and such a, uh, he is just a, he is a genius. He is an incredible musician, incredible composer to where like this next song you're about to hear, um, 
it's almost like three songs in the same song. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's got a, it's it, got a few different movements to it. It's yeah. pretty wild. Uh, so yeah, it's called My New Necklace. We can check that out. Yeah, for sure. We'll uh, definitely get into that. Probably play it out with My New Necklace. Oh, cool. Sounds yeah, good. Absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah. What would you say the function of of the label is for the for these artists that you're signing? Yeah, or um, well, you know, I think representing that that question of like, what does a label do in general? Uh, varies a lot depending on the label and the artist. Yeah, you know, I have friends that run labels and they work with big bands, and so those labels, it's it's a lot easier for them to make money because the bands are established and they know they're going to hit a certain sales number. And also, most of those kinds of labels make the bands pay for the records to some degree. Not for all of it, but, like, they sell them their share of the records at wholesale. You know, for me, I know that the bands that I work with, they don't have that level of I know that we're going to hit this mark. And also, I know that they can't afford to buy anything at wholesale. You know, these are bands of people in their... 20s like most of them are college students i know they're not going to be able to pay like seven dollars for a record from me um but it's been important enough to where you know i still will take these like to be honest they're pretty it's it's pretty crazy at this point uh uh, to where uh what was i gonna say oh yeah so i know that it's like for me it's like I'm more of in the like business of developing artists, which is actually not a business. Like that's not a that's not anything that's gonna like make me any money. Right, it's a labor of love. Uh, exactly, but that's what I'm doing. And at this point, it's like, you know, our our the things that we post on Facebook or on Twitter that get the most reactions always are. Check out this new band, Surfer Rosie. Here's their first single. Check out this new band, Boreen. Here's their first single. Uh, that that stuff gets way more of a splash than like, here's this band you already know. Check them out. And so I know that it's like, you know, if we... Because I've had some offers from more established Portland bands that people know that where they see the work that they're, we're doing. They see like that we have this kind of built-in community of people. And they want to get in on it. But I know that it's like, if I'm like, hey, we got this band that you already know about that already has this going on, uh, are the people that really support us are not going to care about it. And ultimately, it's not really doing what I really like to do, which is taking these like bands that very little people have heard about and like kind of kicking them up the ladder a few rungs. Um, and that process is seeing kind of how high I can kick them up is really fun. Yeah. Uh, it's basically just like, um, it's a lot like gambling, uh, <laughs> honestly. Uh, every, every kind of thing is like you're putting certain things into it, but it still is just like it's rolling the dice and seeing what connects and what doesn't. And so um, especially with press, but also with our audience too and, and things. So yeah, that is kind of my role is like trying to be a good 
presence in these bands' lives very early in their lifespan to set them up to kind of like go on to other opportunities and get farther up the ladder while at the same time doing things myself to get me further up the ladder and like looking into some things like how do other labels do things? What can I do better? How can I do what I'm doing in a more sustainable way for me? Uh, so that I'm, and I always say this when, you know, something really positive happens to one of our bands and they thank me. Like, I always have to explain, like, you know, this is you and me growing together. You know yeah, what I absolutely. Mean? Like, this isn't uh, something only you're benefiting from. We're, like, in this together. And I think that that attitude in and of itself is different than the paradigm a lot of labels work on where, uh, I mean, there are some labels where, like, uh, a band should have a manager because they should have someone making sure that the label is not uh, it's it's not a us against them thing for the label that they're working with and that sounds really cynical but it's true in a lot of ways you know there are there are labels that are not trying to develop talent at all they're just trying to to make money and make a right. quick buck um, to where how things are with our roster it's kind of like I'm kind of in an, ad, in an ad hoc way managing a lot of these bands uh, because it's uh, very much like a collective community type mindset and not a like let's see how many copies of this thing we can sell at Sam Goody you know yeah. what I mean it's just having those pure intentions and, and investing your time into something that, that you really dig with you know like you said that intent of like kind of growing together and not just like trying to roll the dice on somebody making you a bunch of money or right yeah you know, right which is dope and i think that i think that mentality can can take you places as well and it doesn't have to you know be such a cutthroat thing all the time yeah and you know a lot of the people who i respect greatly uh some of my favorite people locally in music or Vincent, the guy that runs Mama Bird, and uh, Kenny from Fresh Selects. And those guys have a mentality that's pretty similar to mine where they uh, are breaking acts and working with people from the ground up. Um, but they have done it in a way that's, that's sustainable, and they are so good at doing what they do to where they're getting up that ladder, and you can see that process playing it out. Um, if, incidentally, if anyone listening to this has not checked out those labels, you definitely should. Just like amazing stuff. The M Mom and Bird did the the Courtney Marie Andrews record last year, which is just this. It's like a masterpiece. It's like a timeless record that people, I you know, I think she's really going places, and people are going to revisit that record years from now and and see that it was one of the best of this past year. Um, with Kenny, I mean, there's too much. <laughs> he's very prolific these days it's kind of too much to mention um, that Kaja Bonet record though is really pretty incredible too and pretty singular there's really nothing else really like that Kaja Bonet record floating around right now um, and his work that he's done on a management basis with Dodger um, super important to, to see her rise yeah man like nationally it's, it's amazing to see someone from 
Portland, the two of them, you know, Dodger and Amine, to see that rise to where, you know, when I started booking hip hop shows was when I was at the radio station here, KPSU. Um, and it was pretty shortly after the Blue Monk closed and a lot of clubs, Kelly's Olympian had their capacity cut in half and because of an incident that happened at a hip hop show. It wasn't even actually an incident. It was the fire marshal coming in and being like, you don't have an extra door. We have to cut the capacity of this show, which, of course, they just happened to do on the day of a hip hop show. Right. <laughs> um, uh, to go from there to where it's like, you know, some of the most successful music coming out of Portland right now, by any measure, like relevance or what have you, is coming out of the hip hop scene. It's a really cool thing to see. Yeah, man. This hip hop scene here right now is super exciting to yeah. to see kind of kind of boom and there's just so many good artists right now in yeah, this absolutely. city. Um and there's a lot of artists that I think people overlook pretty frequently, like uh like Ep. Uh especially live, he is just uh pretty 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 untouchable honestly in terms of his stage presence and stuff a lot of uh groups not they're less active but i'm sure they'll be back soon with something is load b there's just a wild wild live show it's like more like a party punk rock show than a hip-hop show frankly nice um and then all the people that probably more than most people listening to this know about people like my capes uh People like Karma, Rivera, just all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's very much a thriving scene right now to where, you know, we started. There's always been monthly hip-hop nights in Portland. That's something where I think someone called the thesis the first or, like, the only one. And that's never been technically true because they've done uh, Hungry Hungry Hip Hop at right. Missing <coughs> Pizza and a few other ones. There was The Fix a few years ago that was... Uh, a super important series um, but there were definitely a lot less of them when we started doing them to where now it's like you have mic check and you have um, I forget what that one is called in St. John's but it has its own name now too um, there's the bunker sessions I don't remember where that is I think it's like it's do you know what I'm talking about I know what you're talking about but I'm it's, not sure is it a barrel room I want to say it's a barrel room um, anyway it's like you have all these like different uh monthly hip-hop nights and they all sell out or come close to it every time because the talent is there and because people can't get enough of it and um yeah those thesis shows the ones that i've been to always seem to be pretty packed out yeah uh for people listening that might not know what the thesis is well, well oh yeah so it's a it's a monthly hip-hop series that started um i went back when i was at kpsu we had a monthly spot at Kelly's and I threw a lot of really dumb rock shows there. <laughs> just really dumb shows that no one came to. And so I was just like, I want to try to throw a hip hop show. And I threw this hip hop show where, you know, my friend Verbs, who's a Portland DJ about town. Also has a cool with podcast a yeah. called Crate Diggers. Amazing podcast. Shout out to Verbs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a great podcast. Uh, Verbs is an amazing person, too. He's just a glue guy. He's very much a guy that doesn't get enough credit for keeping the scene together and being willing to DJ for 
everyone yeah. at like a moment's notice. Um, it's like the emergency responder of DJs, basically. <laughs> uh, and he has his shit together, and he's a professional, man. And he is just like, uh, he's a very strong person. I'm, I'm blessed to know him, honestly. Uh, and so anyway, I approached Mac from We Out Here magazine because uh, I knew after that first show that I needed some m- extra perspective. And so WOM was a, We Out Here magazine was a, you know, a, a blog I read all the time. So I was like, I'm just going to email them and see what's up. Uh, and so Mac and I met and we planned this monthly series. At that, at that point, uh, Janessa, a friend of Max, was helping us out. She's great, too. Uh, she came up with the name, The Thesis. Uh, I always want to mention that, just so people know. Because uh, it's a pretty key part of our success, I think, is having that consistent branding. Absolutely. She came up with that name, and since then, you know, we're running... Uh, this coming December will be the third year anniversary of those shows. Nice, dude. We've done them every month. Um, had some rough months. Some of them, especially in the summer, it's harder to run shows like that. People, I think, are just totally distracted and stuff. But there's always, you know, it's always like three quarters full. And then most times since the second year, we've been selling out. And it's just and it's an amazing time to uh, have to go to those shows. Especially, you know, for me where, you know, in the in the DIY scene, I'm very invested and when I go see our bands play, I know I'm going to have to talk about business stuff with someone. If it's not the bands, someone else is going to be there that wants to uh, just ask me questions about what I think of something or wants me to put out their next thing or one of our other bands has some question. And so I know it's like not going to be a fun time necessarily. Like I have fun, but I know I like just can't like totally kind of let loose and let that pressure out whereas like you know at this at the thesis like you can't not have fun at a hip-hop show like you have to be like the, the best the dude. squarest person imaginable to not have fun in a hip-hop show i just can't fathom it and so it's like you know these shows where all these people are my friends we're all here to have a good time and it's not you know a bunch of uh white college students standing with their hands in their pockets staring at the floor which is like 90% of <laughs> DIY shows <laughs> are like, when is this band going to finish so that I can go outside and smoke and talk to my friends <laughs> is frankly how a lot of people view shows in that scene. Um, That's amazing. And so to go to like hip hop shows uh, where it's like, this is a fun thing for everyone. And it's about like partying and having a good time. Loose. You know what I mean? Exactly. Is just like really a cool thing to be part of. And frankly, since uh you know that the the December show that happened you know right after Trump got elected uh it's felt like it's like these shows are fun but they're also like it almost feels like an act of defiance to have fun at a hip hop show it's a uh, movement when like Trump is in charge it's like you know fascist basically uh yeah for sure and just like you were saying uh before we kind of got on the mics after yeah. after kind of the the recent tragedy here over the weekend of the the yeah. stabbing at the on the max and whatnot it yeah. seems like those like you were saying like a show like this next thesis show it's tomorrow night right 
It is, yeah. It'll be after Always this is a day after this is released, but you know, it just becomes kind of one of those important nights to yes to share music and kind of stand up for something. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I saw Mac post on on Twitter the other day that you know his wife doesn't feel comfortable wearing her hijab in Portland anymore, and that's that's heartbreaking. You know what I mean? Like these are um, like. Uh, like thinking about someone you know who's the wife of one of someone i'm good friends with feeling like that or the mother of kids at my son's school that he's friends with i'm fortunate to have my son in a school that has a very high muslim population and get to know their families and talk to them about that and just their culture and feelings on america in general and all this kind of stuff it's been a real blessing and so um you know i see those people you know, as having to go through something that I can't really relate to with my degree of, of privilege. And it's, uh, it's a, it's a heartbreaking thing to think about what, what that must feel like. And so, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. To be gathered together, you know, friends and family about to see, you know, some, some kick-ass hip hop music. This is the first time Fountain's done a set at the thesis, and I think he's one of my favorites, man. Yeah, and he's always awesome, always great. His energy is uh, something to fuck with. Yeah, absolutely. Vitel is great too. She's one of the. uh, I've actually never seen her do a set, but I've listened to a lot of her stuff. Um, So yeah, it's gonna be great. And so to just be able to enjoy something like that is, uh, it's it's fun and it's important, and you can feel like, uh, you know, again to get back to that earlier thing. Where it's like, you know, it is music, but it's not just music. It's also like building a, a community of people. Yeah, so. man. I, lo- I love that it seems like it's, uh, you know, it's bigger than the music for you. You know, and it, and yeah. it is this thing that, that brings people together and it's something to connect over, you know. And for sure. So it's it's cool to see that that seems where it, where it kind of comes from for you. And, totally. you know, and totally. just listening to you talk about the artists that are a part of your your label you know it seems like that all of those artists you know have the have this thing that like emotionally has this an attachment that that you can jump on to and and that you really yeah. look deep into like who you're bringing on as an artist you know yeah for sure <laughs> and as people too you know we've had uh some some bands that have uh broken up because of you know quite frankly some character issues and some kind of fucked up things that they've done uh and i'm not going to get into that because it's well documented uh in in the public sphere already uh particularly with naked hour um and so for me it's like uh that's part of the band meaning now is like hey so um you know safety in the community is something that's more important to us than anything else and so you know if you see something or or hear something please like bring it to us as soon as humanly possible and we'll take it very seriously and so um yeah it's i am fortunate to where kind of at the beginning stages of working with the band i kind of feel like i'm like a guy at fedex where it's like okay i need i'll need these things and da 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 but eventually, uh, you know, I've I've been making more of an effort to get to know everyone as people and uh, 
become friends with everyone to now where it's like, you know, I, I have a really good sense of who everyone that we're working with is as a person at this point. Yeah, I'd assume yeah, that that, feeling. that sort of attachment makes gives you even more reason to kind of get behind what they're doing too if you know Absolutely, that they're yeah. super solid people, you know? Yeah, well, and that's like with Harrison uh, from Turtlenecked. He is just naturally a super shy guy. He's the kind of person where the first time you meet him, he'll say, you know, three to five words in a very quiet voice. And that's all, that's all you're going to get from him at first. And there are some people who have interpreted that as him being, like, arrogant or whatever. Where it's like, he's not arrogant. I actually know him very well. And I've had a lot of conversations about things that he's nervous or insecure about with in terms of how we're doing releases. And those are not concerns that people who are arrogant have about things. Yeah. Um, and so I know he's not arrogant. And But, you know, it's like people interpret shyness as arrogance a lot of the time. And so for me, it's like I, you know, I value that relationship with Harrison a lot to where him and I can hang out and, you know, he can really open up to me about things because I know he doesn't do that with everyone. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, he's kind of someone that uh, lives in his own head a little bit. And I think that's partly why you can kind of hear that he's able to create these very complex songs because he does a lot of work up there yeah man it seems seems like that's the case for many artists and just totally. people in general you know like it's it's a hard play it's it's hard to not be in your head a lot of the time totally but uh yeah man i appreciate sitting down with you and, and just learning a little bit more about yourself and just good cheer in totally. general and it's yeah, uh it was fun it's been rad to to connect with you and see where you come from and whatnot. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. And I also just appreciate, you know, you're kind enough to do a write-up recently about one of the shows that I threw. Yeah, totally. Through the, the Willamette Week, and you just had some, some kind things to say just as far as, you know, one of the things that you touched upon earlier about, like, you know, you you can maybe bring on some bands that people already know, but... You know, you in that uh, that article you kind of talked about how I was I was interested in seeking out new bands to break and yeah. not just like pulling every uh, last like last year's best band to to be on the podcast and stuff. Exactly. Which is like you know obviously I want to I want to show respect for those bands too and I don't want to have some yeah. of those bands on too but it, it's always fun to bring on yeah. a band you know that that nobody knows about yet i i felt really bad <laughs> in writing that because someone thought that i was uh specifically like throwing shade on them <laughs> and so they sent me this message being like was that referring to me and was like very upset and i felt so awful about that because i was not it was not about uh anyone in specific it's just the fact of the matter is that like that's kind of how a lot of podcasts and radio are because yeah. it's a lot easier to just feature people that you know will drive a certain amount of traffic but, for sure and i was not was not a dig at anyone in and don't get me wrong like really it's bad. it's not like i'm never looking at like who's doing well in our, in in yeah. this in the portland scene right. and and not that i don't want to bring those bands on as well it's just uh totally I mean, I'm just somebody that's actively going out to shows, so I'm always seeing new artists, and right. it's it's fun to bring those bands on because nobody, 
you know, they don't have the recognition yet. Exactly. Uh, and I, I, you know, from my perspective, when, you know, if I write about a hip hop artist and they find it, you know, pretty frequently I'll get messages from them thanking me where it's like the only time I wrote about a local rock band, they f knew who I was and we were friends on Facebook and they like messaged me and complained about the genre tag or whatever. <laughs> just like, we don't really think we sound like that. It's just like, that's the difference basically where it's like, uh, what, you know, once you get a little further on, you start not really just being like, wow, this guy wrote about our band. That's really cool. And it starts becoming this like, I don't like the way this person complimented me. And if yeah, you man. think about that from the abstract, definitely uh, find it's pretty wild. Find that the the hip hop community just shows so much love when you, you know, are willing to spotlight yeah. what they're doing. And sure. I think a lot of us also just because, you know, most of the time can't be spinning hip hop tracks on the radio. Yeah, you know, just due yeah. to like explicit material or whatever. So that's true. It's I you know I was a DJ at X Ray for two years and. Uh, tried to do that, but the local guys would never make radio edits and send them. Right. And I did not want to take the time to make my own radio edits because that's very time consuming. Uh, Definitely. Very time consuming. And so <laughs> I just stopped trying to do it, basically. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Right on, dude. Well, we're going to play it out with... Uh the track from Turtlenecked. Yeah, so which this is, is off of a record called Vulture that's coming out on the 16th of June. Um, yeah, I'll do a release show, Mississippi Studios on the 15th, so people locally can check that out. And then they are doing a U.S. tour uh, right after that. They're leaving on the 16th, and they'll be back in mid-July. Right on. And where can people follow Good Cheer Records? The best, the best thing is definitely the... Facebook. Uh, the second best thing is the Twitter. After that, then the Instagram. After a lot of other things, there's our website, which I'm currently <laughs> locked out of and have not been able to update <laughs> since April. So uh, that's excellent. Yeah, don't visit our website; it's not accurate. Uh, oh, also our Bandcamp too. I guess that's a that's a given, but. Uh, also, if you're on Spotify, if you type in Good Cheer Joints, it'll bring up a playlist of all of our singles that we've released this year. So that's a good way to just kind of sample all our bands we're working with now. Oh, that's a lovely siren. Yeah, so the cops are here. That's signal. <laughs> it's a signal that it's time to stop. <laughs> and uh, you can check out the thesis every first Thursday. Absolutely, yeah. And that's Kelly's at Kelly's Olympian. Yeah. Um, also, you know, we, uh, we end every episode of this this program with the guest saying it's a program so uh blake hickman give us a good it's a program it's a program there it is he nailed it nice this is turtlenecked with my new necklace cool we'll catch you on the flip side portland cool
Yes, Pam Dan Taylor Design Program. It's a program. <laughs>